0: All right.
1: How's everybody doing tonight? Doing okay? And you better wear your jackets tomorrow. I hear it's supposed to start getting really. It's going to get nice for most of us, but for some of you, it's going to get really cold. I was, I've been told that by multiple people. My sister told me she's getting her jackets out, but she gets her jackets out the second it, it turns 70. So, um, Just want to go ahead and give you guys an uh, early uh, Happy Thanksgiving. We're going to be um, out of town for the first half of the week, so I don't know if I'll see some of you. Um, I will be here for the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving and me and Doug are working on something for um, like a devotional thought for that night. So um, with that being said, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into uh, James chapter three. Father God, we come before you, Lord, we're grateful for this time where we can just come together and study, glean and, and, and learn from your word and glean from one another Father, I just pray that as we go through James chapter 3, which is a—it's not the easiest chapter, Lord. It's um, very challenging. It, it really talks about something nobody's innocent of. It talks about something that we all, no matter our age, no matter our experience, we all struggle with from time to time. So Father, I just pray that you guide our study tonight, that... Um, We have good discourse. And then again, we learn from one another. Father, we are so grateful for your son, for the sacrifice he made on the cross, for the forgiveness of sins that we've all received because of the blood that was shed on our behalf that purifies us white as snow. Father, I pray that this week as we prepare for Thanksgiving and think about all the things we're thankful for that on top of our list is that. That God so loved the world, that you so loved the world, that you sent your only begotten Son, that who should ever live, believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's through his name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3. Probably not a um, chapter anybody's ever read before, huh? Nobody's familiar with this subject, this most of us probably read it and we think, pah, no problem, I got this. Right? James chapter three, the famous chapter of the tongue that Doug has been warning you about for two weeks because of old Hurricane Nicole. So it starts out with a warning. Verse one says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not everyone should be a teacher because if you are a teacher, you will be judged with greater strictness. Anybody a teacher? What do you think about that scripture? Mike? I think it's Luke 12. Okay. But if it's 11 or 13, that's enough to sing. Okay. Jesus told the Apostles. If you've been given much, much is required. Mm-hmm. So... so. Yeah, words have a lot of meaning, don't they? Chuck? Well, Yeah. Uh, it's, it's obvious, as a
0: teacher, you have a on yeah. people and leave them astray, or leave them to God. Yeah. yeah. It, you
1: know,
0: Because if you're teaching to try and push your own agenda, that's not going to turn out real well for
1: you. Yeah, I've seen that many times in my own personal life um, where teachers get on their own agendas and seems like it's working out great at first, and then everything changes. Doug, did you want to say something? No? No, I'm good. All right, nothing, nothing from Doug back there. He's hiding in the booth until he has some crazy thing to say. Yeah, I will tell you from from my perspective um, this is a scripture that is um, scary it's a scripture that um, makes me prepare probably even over prepare to make sure that I'm as prepared as I possibly can be it's a scripture that makes me never take lightly any lesson that I've ever taught But what's scary about it to me is I've taught things that are wrong. And I think anybody who spent a decent amount of time teaching will tell you that they've taught things that in the moment they were sure was right, but they were wrong. Or they have come to the conclusion, maybe they're wrong now, maybe I'm wrong now, and was right then. So there is a um, there's an uncertainty. There's a there's a um, it's a scary verse. Not because I think God is sitting up there waiting to um, smite me for everything I say wrong, right? But he he expects a lot. He expects a lot from from the teachers, just like Mike was saying. Go ahead, Mike.
2: A little different angle. Okay. I think he's saying. When you talk when you speak you show your heart and if you just promote any teacher the guy with the bad heart he can do so much damage mm. like he's going to talk about how they stumble and how you can turn animals around and then boats around I think he's saying that it's your heart
1: that counts we' okay. so gonna say. Something?
0: I think to me, I, I, I view it as sobering, maybe not fearful, but sobering mm-hmm. in, in when you teach to say, and, and you, you know, the same thing with preaching is you have, you have an impact on others. Uh, but the other part of that is, is if you don't do anything, you'll never do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. That's true. But that's wrong in and of itself. That's true.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think what you both are saying does hit on something for me. And, and when I say it's a scary scripture, it, to me it is a scary scripture. There's a warning here that says, you might wanna be a teacher, maybe you are, maybe you shouldn't be, right? And, and, and I will say this too, I don't think that God is up there looking at um, all, all the years that I've taught and um, he's gonna hold me in account for every mistake I made. He's not gonna hold me in account for all of my sin. And if he knows I'm truly seeking him and truly seeking his word, and I'm doing the best I can in the time that I am in, I don't. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna hold that against me. So I agree with you, Mike, that it's not all necessarily about accuracy. That a lot of it is about your heart and genuinely seeking out God. Um, and I agree that it's. It's. It's very sobering. It's. 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 It's more than just a lesson. It's more than just a job. It's more than just. Something that we do. It's a huge opportunity, and we need to see it as that every time. Go ahead, Carl.
3: Paul, you know, in Romans, if I'm interpreting this correct, seems to show some mercy for those of us who have the right heart, and he says, be careful what you build on the temple, so that you don't destroy it. But if you, basically, if you do make mistakes, you'll escape as one escape in the flames, yeah. not, not that you'll be condemned, you know? And I, I think that goes back, what is your heart? Are you trying to destroy the church? Are you bringing in demonic doctrines that are gonna you know, make people deny the faith? I mean, I think it's, that's what he's talking about.
1: Yeah, uh, I, th- I think so too. Verse two, he says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. So everybody got their complete body in control outside of their tongue? Everybody got that? Never ever get angry and do something you shouldn't do or, or um, you know, there's, I guess there's all kinds of temptations for the body. Everybody got their body just completely in control? I know I don't. I wish I could just sit still. Sometimes when I speak honestly, I wish I could be more still. But I can't. Because before I know what's going on, my legs just start to move and I start to walk. And then, you know, I get going again and then my legs are over. And that's just a simple way of putting it. Just just like, by the way, when you call me on my phone, I'm not sitting in a chair. I can't. In fact, my wife makes fun of me because I literally wear a path in my house with the lap that I walk while I talk to people. It's the way I'm built. But even when I don't want to do that, I do it. And again, it's just a simple way, but there is so much um, that we deal with when we're trying to control our body. But how much, before we get too deep into the scripture, how much do we deal with trying to control our tongue for from a from the question of what sin comes from the tongue how many different sins are there that come from the tongue how many different ways could you possibly sin just using your mouth proverbs lots. Lots, I agree, a lot, a lot, right? There is a lot of ways to mess up with your speech. And that's what he's talking about tonight. This is is really the whole meat of James chapter three. There is a lot of ways to mess up with your speech. I was thinking about this. Maybe you can relate. I was thinking about all the major changes that happened in my life, in my family as a child, all the way up to where I'm at right now. You know, here's the truth. I've never been in a place where, um, really since I was a young kid, where somebody physically came to altercation with me. About fifth, sixth grade, I realized that me and my friends, we could punch each other to see who was the strongest, right? We could, we could get in fights, but it didn't really do anything. So I stopped looking in that avenue, But I have had tons of altercations, and really, this isn't true to say about me and my own personal life as an adult, but I've had tons of altercations from arguments with people that have changed my life. Some of those were arguments between people and my parents that have changed the direction of my life. Some of those aren't even arguments. They're just accidents. Like before caller ID, when Dick Vitale called my parents' house to ask me to be on an, a U15 World Cup team um, that was going to go compete in Europe. And he sounded like, yeah, baby, yeah. And my dad, I handed my dad the phone. I was like, this guy's saying I made it on a team for, to represent the United States over in Europe. And my dad got on the phone, and he was doing his Dick Vitale thing, and my dad hung up the phone. We didn't have caller ID. There was no way to call him back. And he said, it's a scam, son. Then like two two, two years later, we were watching March Madness. And there was Dick Vitale, and we both knew the voice that was on the other end of the phone that day. So there's all kinds of ways you can mess up. There's all kinds of ways you can make mistakes with your, with your mouth, and I want you to be thinking about that um, as we go forward in this conversation. Because if you could control your mouth, if you had your mouth in complete control, you could also be perfect. I was also thinking about this. The other. Um, There was a sermon on Sunday night where I said something, because we're live, that I knew was wrong when I said it. and It wasn't wrong like, oh, I shouldn't have said that about this person, or it was going to be offensive. It was wrong. It was like dumb wrong. Like, oh, I can't believe you just said that as it came out of my mouth. It's, it's very hard to say everything right all the time, even when you're trying your best. Even when you're trying your best, sometimes the tongue will deceive you. So, getting to where um, Mike was referencing to a little bit earlier, verse 3, it says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. I had a friend in in my youth group that was um, very short. Very good wrestler, because he was very short. And he used to always say, dynamite comes in small packages. That's kind of what this is referencing to. Something small, but it can have big implications on your life. Finishing that thought, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison." Is James talking about your tongue? What makes the tongue so hard to tame? I I don't have the answer. I'm asking, do you? What makes the tongue so hard to tame? You would think it'd be easy to control what you say and how you say it and when you say it. But it just seems like sometimes you can be provoked to say things. Sometimes you can be moved to say things. And again, sometimes you can be trying to say something and you say something you really weren't even expecting to come out. Why is it so hard? Go ahead, Peter. Verbal abuse is the most hardest thing to
4: forgive somebody for, is that what you said?
5: If you say it, it is hard for somebody to forgive you for it, you know, okay. because it hurts so
1: much. Yeah, yeah. well, get, you know, I kind of, um, I'm glad you said that because this was the point to earlier. <laughs> My life has been set in all kinds of different directions because of verbal altercations but i don't I can't think of a single physical altercation that's happened in my life that actually changed the direction of my life. people don't um, leave church because the elder and them got into a fist fight behind closed doors. People don't leave the church because the the minister decided to fight somebody right in the middle of a Sunday morning sermon. People don't leave church because the women at ladies' class got into a fist fight, right? I mean, you could just belabor this point all you want, and it's kinda, it kind of does create some funny images if you really think about it. People leave because they get into verbal altercations and people say things that they can't take back. In fact, I think that has more consequence than most things, and I think that's what you're saying, Peter, and I think it's true. Psychology keeps raising the number, don't they, Mike? Number of how many times it, you have to say something good for every time you say something bad. That number's went up like three or four times, I think, since I graduated college. That's the power of words. Think about it in your own life. If, you're, if your spouse or if you're, your boss or if your coach or whatever, in, all, in any of your aspects of life, if they said something negative to you, how many times did they have to say something positive before you believed you were back in good graces? There's a power in this. I, what do you think when it says that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison? That seems pretty harsh. A restless evil. Do you think your tongue is a restless evil,
0: Chuck? And trying to get out, mean mm. he usually gets out through the tongue.
1: Yes, he does. does? <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting because he started out with, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. I think many of us have our body in more control than we have our tongue. I think many of us have mostly, our body is mostly in compliance at this point in our lives. But when we do something we regret, it usually comes from right in this area. Yeah? Mike.
0: It's this.
2: Okay. Uh, if we're making fists and beating on somebody, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But we can beat them up with words, and that's okay, and what this is saying is, no it's not okay. Uh, you start using your words on somebody and you can bring them down low.
1: yeah yeah, I think um just dealing with youth culture for as long as I did, I think the one thing you'll find is that the kids who are being bullied they're not being bullied physically. The kids who are um, you know not to not to just throw a word out there, but the kids who struggle with suicide, or, or cutting themselves, or doing those dark things, um, they're not usually being physically abused, they're usually being verbally abused. And, just another tangent, you know, social media means you can be bullied 24-7. And there's a reality to that. These kids, you know, when, when we went to school, most of us, when we went to school, When we left school, school was over, as long as you could get far enough away from the school. Even if there was a bully, as long as you got far enough away, you probably weren't gonna see him again until the next day. These kids go home and the bully's still there. And it's becoming a serious issue. And, And again, they're not usually getting physically abused. They're getting verbally, mentally abused and it can certainly lead to very evil places and be like poison in people's lives. Go ahead, Carl. One thing
3: I noticed when talking to people about the Lord is, is if you, you have to be careful when you're like, if you're encouraging them to do better or something, not to remove their hope. Because if you say something that removes their hope, their immediate response is, well then I don't care no more, period. Yeah. You know, and so, there, there have been times where encourages somebody. I, I, feel, I sense in my spirit. Okay, that's enough, you know. And, and because if you remove their hope, it's, they're, 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 people follow Jesus because of hope. Yeah. And if you remove that, they're, they're going to give up. sometimes yeah. You know?
1: yeah, I agree. I think on one side you have the dangers of it. On the other side, you have the powerful, beautiful, amazing part of it. And. Encouragement is something that every single one of us have benefited from in our lives at some point in time. Every single one of you has been encouraged at just the right time on something that you were dealing with in your life. And it was powerful. It was powerful. You know, we live in a society, this is really, really important. We live in a society that is pushing you to do your best all the time. At your job, in your your marriage, um, even in your diet, right? We live in a society where you're supposed to be trying to do your best all the time. And part of that is because we live in one of the greatest countries in the world. And there's a competition even involved in that. So there is a societal pressure for you to do your greatest all the time constantly be going into a better place constantly getting further along down the road and whatever it is it's the same it's the way it's been your whole life and in that process you sometimes find out what you're good at but you will definitely find out what you are bad at sometimes people will tell you hey you do really good at this But there'll be plenty of times when people will tell you, you know, you really blew that one. I was thinking about, it is harder, sometimes, to give people credit for what they do than it is to find something wrong with what somebody's doing. It is it's harder to admit sometimes especially if you don't necessarily like somebody it is harder to admit when they're doing a good job if you have made up your mind that you don't like me for example just throw me out there I'll be the example if you've made up your mind that you don't like me and I start to prove you wrong in our relationship it might be more difficult for you to say you know what Matt's doing a pretty good job than it would be to say the things I don't really like about what Matt's doing with his job. That's the way we're geared towards, and to be honest with you, because of our culture, our society, you can actually hide behind that if you want to. Go ahead, Susan.
5: We don't want to forget that the book of James is addressed to fellow Christians, and he has been constantly dealing with what is tearing them apart
2: from within, and of all the people you should not have this problem with, it should be your fellow Christians because that not only impacts them, it prevents you from reaching the lost.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's why I started with preachers don't fist fight and elders don't, right? Yeah, Paul? Peter, you're
4: next. Paul Peter. I want to put this very carefully. Uh, I have found personally that most of the time when I step in it and hurt somebody's feelings or say something that I shouldn't, it's because I have a tendency to react quickly with what I see as humorous. And my humor is not always accepted as humor on the other end. Yeah. And, you know, when it is, everybody chuckles. And if you're doing different, if you're having a conversation, you can have a couple of things and a few exchanges. But then you say that one exchange and, and something that comes to mind to me that, that occurred at church. We used to have group meetings. And as, as a deacon, we were in charge of those groups and we had meals every Sunday and there were a group of ladies that always were obviously preparing the meal within the group. Mm -hmm. So we would have a meeting just to be sure we were all on the same page and the ladies in this particular group all kind of had the dishes that they wanted to do. They called it potluck and that's what they wanted. But we had some lady in church from another group who decided to sit in and listen to what we were doing and she started trying to contribute. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm seeing from the ladies that are sitting behind her, all I'm seeing are heads going from left to right. Nobody's going up and down. And I tried what was obviously a failed attempt at humor to get this lady to I apologized to her many times over following weeks. And the sad part was apparently what I said was humorous but not to her because others chuckled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can do this so innoc- innocently. You know, not, you don't have to have an intent. So this has to be turned on all the time. And, you know, just in an effort to, at humor, you can, you can hurt somebody's feelings pretty yeah. badly.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So, with my dad, I was his only son. We did many things together, work, because we were on a small farm. And uh, he would always say thank you to me when it was done. That was praise for me. And it always gave me the incentive to do the best work I would. And, of course, his last two words to me
1: were thank you. Mm -hmm. Appreciation goes a long way. All right, verse 9. This is where he starts to get really, to me, really personal. Um... It's kind of where the tone really starts to change and really focus in on us um, and our relationship with God and how much this affects our relationship with God, not only our relationship, but even our worship with God. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. How do you bless God and then curse someone else who was made in the image of God? He says you're in conflict. You're no different than having a body of water that's half salt, half fresh. And I'm not talking about brackish like we deal with out here. I'm talking about you drink salt water. You ever get salt water in your face at the beach? Anybody mow their grass? Anybody in here actually mow their grass? I mean, I know we live in Florida, most people get their, ma- their grass mowed for them. Hmm? Something weird about mowing grass, I don't know if you have this experience or not, but when I'm mowing grass, water is my favorite. Some people like a Coke. My dad liked a Coke. But water is my favorite. It just tastes different. I can't imagine, though, going for that glass of water after I've cut my grass and I'm, I'm expecting that experience and it being full of ocean water and I'm taking it like a blast to the face like a wave just hit me. It would be a very different experience. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about one would give you life. One would literally kill you. You drink enough salt water, you will die. He says, so with that same mouth, with that same tongue, we say all these great things, we say these great prayers, we do these great sermons, we do we do all these amazing things for the Lord, we worship God. And then we curse his children. Those who are made in his image. What
3: is that? Curse. I was what does that mean there? Just saying something negative? Or is it What what if that's true when you're, you know? I I think it goes more
1: along the lines of hate is an easier way to explain it without getting really deep into that. Uh, I think it's more along the lines of hate. You're hoping something bad happens to somebody. You ever have that? You ever have that temptation where you're literally hoping someone, something bad? You know, it'd be great if, I'm not gonna finish that statement. I think that's what it's talking about.
2: This is showing the inconsistency of the, the teacher though who's really not uh, holding on to God. It, it comes out because he blesses God one moment and then he's totally different in the next. Mm-hmm. Or he's like well, fresh water in one moment and the next moment he's not.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Or he's like the fig tree that's very easily, got, but it's not a fig tree. So the guy looks the part, can act the part, but give him enough time with what he says and he reveal himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it's showing the difference between these two actions. And I see that you're applying this to the, going all the way back to verse one with the teacher. Um, and I'm not saying you're wrong on that, but I really want us all to think about that from the perspective of our own lives. Um, truth be told, we're all called to be ministers of Christ. We're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be a teacher to somebody, whether it's teaching your children and that's all you ever taught, or teaching your friends, your family. We're all called to be this at some point. And and, and here's the other, here's the other truth. You can be amazing here, but if you're different out there, it's gonna affect your witness, your ministry, even here. It will affect your witness and your ministry, especially out there. Um, We were in a really tough um, soccer game last season. And turned out that the star of the other team, his dad, he's now on my team this year because I cheat and recruit. No, I don't do that. Um, I don't do that. You're not even allowed to do that. Or I would do that. No. Um, But his dad, he was over on the sideline, and he was struggling with, he found out I was a minister as well. Because... His wife and one of the kids on my team's moms were really close. And he was struggling with the idea of how do you, because apparently he's a super competitive guy, which is why he doesn't coach his own son. And he was just struggling with the idea of how you can hold it all together in that environment because of who you are all the time being a minister. And he was talking, he was actually talking to his wife. He was talking to his wife about how difficult that would be to always have to think about that even in the midst of coaching a game, especially a really close game, where if if you've ever been to the soccer fields, you should go. It'll change your life, okay? They get really rowdy if the games get close. Parents get really rowdy. Doug can attest to this. Parents get really rowdy when the games are close. It gets fun. To me, it gets fun. For some other people, it gets really competitive, but my dad he's a lot more competitive than y'all know, especially about his children. And my dad was sitting on the other side of this man, and all he heard was what he thought was him criticizing me because I'm a minister. And that turned into a big struggle that took almost three months to settle. A silly little thing like that, but yeah, I think it's 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 super important to be consistent. To be consistent, as best as we possibly can. Uh, I was riding in the car the other day um, with a friend who's not in the church. I want to stress this before I get to this example, and um, we picked up my kids because we were doing some stuff, and we picked up my kids because it was time to pick them up from school. And we were driving back to my house where I could drop him off at his car. And he said a word that I do not say in front of my kids. And I kind of looked back. I was shocked that he did that, first of all. He knows my rules. And then I was even more shocked that he did that in front of my kids. Right? I, don't, I don't make a big deal if somebody cusses or whatever in front of me. I don't, I don't make that a big deal. If that's not your life, that's not your life, but I'm going to live a certain way. And when my kids are around, I expect you, whether that's your life or not, if we're going to be friends, you're not going to say those things in front of my kids. That's my bare minimum rule. So I looked at him, and then I looked back at my kids, and I had that look on my face, and... Later that night, Tyler brings my wife into the room. Mom, do you you think Dad cusses? No, your dad doesn't cuss. I've been married to him for all this time, and I think I've only heard him say a bad word one time. I think I've said more than him. And he finally comes to me, and he said, Dad, I, I think I heard you cuss. (laughs) and I explained to him exactly what happened but yet again something so small was such a big deal to my son and it just goes back to reiterate that we have to be consistent, we need to be consistent, even these little things with our mouths can be such a big, you just never know who it's going to be such a big deal to Now, I just think that's really important to stress. Mike, are you gonna say something? This
2: particular set of scriptures is what are you really on the inside? Yeah. On the outside, it's easy to kind of do, but what you're on, what you really are on the inside, it's gonna come out.
1: Yeah, what comes out out of the mouth shows the heart, Uh right? Yeah.
4: it's kind of a way of self-checking ourselves. We think that our heart is right, but sometimes then we see how we respond to situations or things we say, you know, our mouth is kind of a, a thermometer for the heart. Yeah, I think
1: what you're saying right there is very valuable and I think that we should actually rethink conversations that we have with people and figure out how to better say things at times or even um, maybe even like Paul was talking about early, go back and try to reconcile things that where we know we messed up, even if it was unintentional. And sometimes it's the unintentional ones that are the hardest ones to go back and even try to reconcile. Um, And I agree with you, Sue. I I, I think it's a big thermometer. And Sometimes you say that one thing that Sounded really good, and then you realize what it really exposed um, in your life. All right, verse 13 Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. And demonic, so bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, and and spreading the uh, spreading falsehoods as the truth. He says is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, earthly, worldly. When you hear me talk about the world, and I say the culture of the world, earthly, worldly. Unspiritual, unspiritual makes sense, right? We have the Spirit of God that's coming in and it's changing us from the inside out as we allow it to mold and shape us into this new person that we've become through Christ. What about demonic? That's a pretty heavy word, isn't it? He says, this is wisdom that comes down. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, meaning worldly, unspiritual, meaning absent of God's spirit, and demonic. Comes from demons. Demons.
3: Are they talking about motivational videos? Or what, what no, he's
1: talking about Not. bitter jealousy. Shell, uh, sh- I want to say shellfish. Selfish ambition. Can't control my tongue. Boasting and spreading falsehoods as the truth. Okay. These are things that he is saying is worldly uncertain tomorrow. Anybody want to add to that before we move on?
0: When Christ taught, he he always said, I'm going to paraphrase, there's no middle ground. Mm -hmm. You're either with him or you're against him. And if what you're doing is not for him, it's for the other side. Yeah. It's just plain. There is no middle ground where, well, I'm not going to go one way or another. It's like, there is no middle ground. That's probably one of the biggest lies, mm-hmm. is to think, well, I just won't take sides on either one. Yeah, well, you, you just did. Yeah. Whether you know it or not, you just took a side.
2: The yeah. Nations mm. that are inside of us. Uh, when we lived in Pittsburgh, uh, we had a great season. And there were some fans in a restaurant singing the song about, I, I think Pittsburgh's going to the Super Bowl, and they got a Cleveland Brown fan, I think he was Cleveland, okay, uh, he wouldn't sing the song with them,
1: <laughs>
2: they beat the man up, speaking
1: to, well that's not speaking to my heart, but the other part was,
2: <laughs> yeah, they beat him up so bad he spent six months in the hospital, yeah, yeah. Because they wanted him to be a fan like they were.
1: Yeah, senseless. Look why. Look at what he says here, because this brings all of it back into co- context, and this is the end of the of the chapter. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. So remember, you got it right up here. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, are worldly unspiritual, absent of the Holy Spirit, and literally have been taught to you by demons. Demons or, or they are demonic. These are the actions of demons, okay? This is where we have picked this up from. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Something that simple can lead you off the cliff. It's not wisdom from God to be jealous or to have s- selfish ambition. I'm going to say shellfish. <laughs> there is something sinful about shellfish for certain people in here, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> verse. There's so many things I want to say that I'm going to leave it alone. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above, this is the wisdom from above, not this stuff that comes out of je- jealousy and selfish ambition. This is the wisdom that is from above. First, it's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits, it's impartial, and it's sincere. You take those words, and you apply them to your speech and the way you communicate with people, and it'll probably start to change your relationships. You're not going to get it right every time for who can tame the tongue. I also want to remind you of James 1. Because every time we talk about the tongue I think of James 1 where James said at the beginning of this letter for the man who can't control his tongue his religion is worthless. And then in chapter 3 he says but nobody can tame it. So don't speak out of jealousy and selfish ambition. Speak out of a pure place, out of a peaceable place, out of a gentle place, out of a place that's open to reason, which also means that it's not just about your tongue. It's also about your ears. Hearing something that can actually allow your mind to change because it makes sense and it's got good reason behind it. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And verse 18 says something that we just ended off with. Um, in one of the last sermons, sounds very similar to this. Think about it. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Remember the peaceful fruit of righteousness? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Your life will be A lot more peaceful if you set out to be smart and positive and pure and gentle with your communication with those that God has put around you. And you can make a lot of problems for yourself if you don't. Anybody want to add anything else? Chuck. Chuck
0: in 16, where he says, there will be disorder. Yeah. When, when James says that, if, for those that, you know, this is a general epistle, but everybody who reads that says, we have disorder. We have people fighting with each other. Okay, you've got jealousy, you've got self ambition, you've got people who can't control their tongues. Mm-hmm. They're after their own selfish goals and ambitions and invite that. Are to me, that was that rang a bell for the people who are reading this. For us, mm-hmm. it's it's a warning. It says, if you have that disorder, then you have jealousy and selfish ambition. Yeah. Because that's the result of jealousy and selfish ambition. Yeah. And you see that.
1: Yeah, I think you. I think you hit the head, the nail on the head. And I I have to say that in the times where I've had this in my life it has been because of, probably more of selfish ambition than jealousy, but one of those two elements has been involved, you know? Um, so, I think, I think that's very true. Just working it kind of backwards there. Anybody else?
2: These are Christians.
0: Yeah, these are Christians, no,
1: Sorry, right. That's right. Doug.
3: put this in the hands of the person with the microphone, it directs everybody away from God, demonic, devilish way. It has division just from the power of the microphone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we can, we can, um, we can see the power of microphones all over in our lives today. That's for sure. So be careful who you give it to. Kind of going back to James chapter three, verse one, be careful who you give it to. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful. Who you give credit to when they speak? Anybody else? Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming to Wednesday night Bible class. Um, next week we'll be having a Thanksgiving devotional the day before Thanksgiving. So we'll. I hope. I hope I see all of you there. Um, and if you're traveling, then I. Happy Thanksgiving. I probably won't see you until next Sunday. Um, but with that being said, this class is uh, over. And again, thank you for coming. And we got out early, kind of. I
5: will see.